0: Hey, Crossings podcast community, this teaching is called Think Again About Life Together and is the seventh teaching in our Think Again series. It was taught by Molly Conaway and Caleb Gilmore on May 30th, 2021. Thanks for listening. Hey, Crossings, thanks so much for gathering with us uh, virtually as we study together. Over the last six weeks, we've been doing this series called Think Again, uh, this, this active rethinking about all different kinds of aspects of our faith, uh, our life, how we are in the world. And over the past six weeks, we've looked at different things like our values versus our beliefs and opinions about what it looks like to be successful or to be masterful in our faith. We've looked at like what it means to other about our political life, how we think God works and throughout all of these different things, What essentially we're saying is that our life of faith is a constant rethinking process. We never want to settle or become stagnant in the way that we do things. We don't want to do things just because we've always done them that way. And honestly, we think now is the perfect time to have this conversation, to be doing this together with Mark transitioning off staff and Molly, having become the lead pastor in the last few months with COVID-19 wrecking all of our plans and devastating our world for the last year. One of the things that we've been thinking through together as a staff is what does it mean to be in community during a pandemic? How does this shared life together work now? And what will it look like in the future as we emerge from this pandemic? So when I was in high school, I had this youth pastor um, and he had this verse from the Bible that he would repeat all the time. And it's this phrase from Paul in the New Testament uh, in a letter to this church called uh, Thessalonica. And in chapter two of this letter, Paul is describing his life with this community, how he met them. And he says this, he says, because we loved you so much, We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, the good news, but our lives as well. I think it's a great line on its own. It kind of stands up. Uh, We want to do something more than just talk about God with you. We wanted to actually enter into your life. We wanted to share life together with you. And from what we know about this community, though, this goes even deeper than what we know. This was a city, Thessalonica, that was very devoted to the cause of the Roman Empire, this political giant in the ancient world. It was a very cosmopolitan city. It was professional. But this early group of Jesus followers who lived within this city were slowly forming and becoming a different kind of community in that context. And so this letter that Paul writes is a letter written because he could not be physically present with this community in the early stages of its formation. He wanted to be with this group of people that he had taught and explained this way of Jesus to, but could not be physically present to see it come through. And I think as we think about Paul writing this letter to this Thessalonican church, that sounds very familiar. This desire to be in physical community with someone when something is preventing us from doing that. This desire to see the way it was intended to be in all of our lives and still being prevented by something external to us. So when Paul writes this letter to the struggling church, he is trying to help them remember why they started following Jesus in the first place, why they were in community to begin with and why that community was supposed to be different from all of the other communities that made up the Roman Empire. So today we want to think again about the idea of community, uh, of a faith community. And I know, I know, it seems like this is overdone, it's become cliche, we talk about it all the time, it seems almost like this word has lost its meaning, maybe. And if that's where you're at, I think, We've tried to tackle this in a redefinition of community and other teaching series before. Uh, We had a series a couple of years ago called A New Definition or A Better Definition of Community, which is a great series, uh, and we encourage you to go back and listen to some of those if you're interested. But I think, we think as a staff, it's time that we do that again, especially coming out of this time of a pandemic. As we regather, getting back indoors, doing something that looks something like normal, and so, even if we're tired of the topic, because maybe we think we've talked about it enough, that's probably a good indication that it's time to rethink it again. And so, we think there's no better way to do that, as Jesus was often prone to do, than to have that discussion with kids.
1: So, Jesus loved to tell stories that made people think again, to see the world in a different way. A parable is a story or a picture that helps people understand these new ideas or think differently about how they act or treat people. These parables, these stories, will help us think again in new ways. So today we are going to look at another parable that Jesus told. This box represents a parable. A story comes contained in a box. And it's a gold box. This color of gold reveals that it is precious. So that's what's inside must also be precious. It looks kind of like a present, like something that you might get on a birthday. But this is a different kind of present. It's not something you can touch with your hands. It's a story of ideas to think about. Some parables are hard to open or understand. But because Jesus told them for us, We can always come back to them over and over whenever we want. So let's look inside to see what we have for our story today. And I want to ask you, what makes a good friend? Think about it. What makes a good friend? I'm sure you have great thoughts. One thing I think of good friends, some things they say or they do, is is friends that tell you that they're sorry. Have you ever had someone tell you that they are sorry? Have you had to say you're sorry to someone else? Today we're looking at a story, a parable, that Jesus told to remind people of the grace they have been given and how Jesus can lead them to forgive others. Jesus was someone who did such amazing things and said such wonderful things about the people that followed him As they followed him, they learned more and more about the kingdom of God. And one of Jesus' friends asked him this question. Lord, in the kingdom of God, how many times do I have to forgive someone? When someone says they're sorry, how many times do I have to forgive them? So Jesus told them this parable. He said, there once was a king, and this king had a big house and lots of food, and lots of money, and lots of people working for him. And one day, the king went to check on how his workers were handling his money. The king checked, and they realized that one of the workers had borrowed so much money he would never be able to pay the king back for all of the money he ended up taking. And instead of getting this worker in trouble or sending him away or making him work harder, the king decided to forgive this worker. He didn't have to pay anything back. You think that must have made the worker so happy that he didn't have to work harder or pay anything back You would have thought that he would have gone to treat everybody else so kindly that day, but he didn't. As soon as the worker left, he found another worker who owed him some money, only a couple dollars. And you would think that the worker would do what the king did for him, and that would be to forgive the other worker for the money that they owed him. But he didn't. He refused. He didn't forgive this other person. Instead, he put him in jail. And the other workers saw how unfair this was, and they went to the king. And the king told the servant, I am so disappointed that you didn't do for this man what I did for you. Shouldn't you have forgiven this man just like I forgave you? And I wonder lots of things about this parable. I wonder why the king decided to forgive the worker in the first place instead of making him pay back all the money he owed. And I wonder why the first worker didn't forgive the other worker. And I wonder what Jesus is trying to teach us about the kingdom of God. I wonder what Jesus is trying to tell us about how to do life together. So we've been looking at this image. It's going to be up on the screen. We've looked at it every week. What do you notice? These circles represent heaven and earth. Can you see that heaven touches earth when this little child was reaching for the love of the one reaching for him? In today's parable, Jesus was trying to get his friends to understand that they have been given grace They have been forgiven, and because of that, they can show grace and forgive the people around them. That is the kind of radical community of life together that would bring heaven to earth, like in this picture. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for loving us and showing us grace. May we understand that and be able to show grace and love and forgiveness to those around us. Amen. So one of the theologians we reference often is named Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Caleb, I think, actually has a dog named after Diedrich Bonhoeffer, but Bonhoeffer is a German Lutheran pastor. He was in staunch resistance of Nazi Germany, and at one point in his life, he was arrested and sent to a concentration camp. Eventually, he was executed for being associated with a plot to kill Hitler. But Bonhoeffer wrote this important work in a book called Life Together. And today is about rethinking how we do this faith community thing. Thinking again about what it means to do life together. Bonhoeffer points out that all over scripture, we are given this vision for the gift and the privilege it is to live among and with other followers of Jesus. The story that Caleb talked about with this community in 1 Thessalonians, it just scratches at the surface of it. Basically, Bonhoeffer says that because this community of faith in Jesus is organized under one thing, which is the life and death and resurrection of Christ, Because that's the organizing principle, it has something totally different to offer than any other form of community out there. And I want to stop for a minute and recognize that there are so many people, particularly within crossings, that a previous experience with community of faith or with the church is the primary reason you are like this close from stepping away and from engaging with faith altogether. So many of you have told us that being at Crossings is kind of the last-ditch effort to doing this faith thing in community. We've heard that story over and over. And yes, there are far too many stories of abuse of power covered up by spirituality and religiosity in churches. And we lament those stories alongside of you. That is not what God intended faith communities to be. And I think, if anything, the fact that those stories keep coming up over and over proves that we have quite a bit that we need to think again and think deeper about when it comes to being a community of faith. Okay, so if a faith community's organizing principle is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, according to Bonhoeffer, what that means is that we are who we are as a community because of who God is. If Jesus is our organizing principle, we are able to keep doing this thing together because of who Jesus is, not because of who we are. And that's actually a gift of grace. I mean, it means that we are bound together by faith, not experience. We're kind of stuck together because of the faithfulness of Christ, not because of an event or an activity. I mean, think about it. Think about the different communities you belong to or you consider yourself part of. How many of them are organized because of a shared experience? Think about sports, book clubs, workouts, food and drink groups, or hobbies. And yes, we, a faith community a crossings, we have common experiences like a Sunday gathering. We have common experiences in homes and in different groups, but ultimately, we are connected because of this journey of faith in Jesus. Even if we are on totally different pages when it comes to faith in Jesus, that is still the thing connecting us. And I don't know, but in my opinion, being a community organized around the ongoing pursuit of the creator of the universe and around the God that has come to be with us in the person of Jesus, that is a much deeper and much more meaningful and sustainable connection i mean it means that we are already given a vision for what life together is intended to look like we're not just shooting from the hip engineering new strategic ways to make sure our faith communities are impactful and successful no it means that a community whose organizing principle is faith in jesus means that faithfulness. Is the ultimate goal faithfulness to God faithfulness to Jesus faithfulness to each other and the best part about this means that when we screw up because we will when we have our feelings hurt and when we hurt someone else's feelings and that that will happen it means that God's faithfulness to us continues to hold us together We are a community organized because of the faithfulness of God. And that faithfulness of God outlasts our pride. It outlasts our selfishness. God's faithfulness outlasts our weariness and our trauma and our anxiety. All the things that hold us back from experiencing all that God intended us to experience and being part of a faith community. God's faithfulness is working in the background, keeping us together. I mean, the reason we are here, the reason we get to do this together is because of the life and death and resurrection of Christ. And and the main point Diedrich Bonhoeffer makes in his book, Life Together, is this. When the goal becomes anything outside of that, that's when we start seeing problems. When our expectations of faith community becomes something other than reflecting the nature of Christ, we're going to be disappointed. When we put great expectations on who we wished the community would be and who we wished other people would be, rather than seeking to serve and be thankful for the actual community and the actual people that make up that community, we actually end up destroying all of it. The Bonhoeffer quote is much more intense than this, and we're going to put this on the screen. And remember, this quote has been translated from German. Bonhoeffer says, Those who want more than what Christ has established between us do not want Christian community. They are looking for some extraordinary experiences of community that were denied them elsewhere. Such people are bringing confused and tainted desires into the Christian community. Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. They enter the community of Christians with their demands, set up their own law, and judge one another and even God accordingly. Yikes. Okay. I don't know about you, but that makes me think again. (laughs) Again, this is not about basic rights and expectations. This is not about situations of religious and spiritual abuse. This is different. This isn't about that. Ultimately, this is about grace with ourselves and with each other. Ultimately, this is about forgiveness. This is about the way God is with us in the bodies of these people all around us in this faith community. And because we are human, we're not gonna get it right every time. But because we're doing this together, even in our failures, we learn more about the grace and love and forgiveness of God than we could have ever learned alone.
0: So one of the things that I'm really curious about uh, as we participate in the life of community is how we do that creatively. How do we make different connections? How do we do life together as we begin to emerge from this pandemic reality into something that's gonna be completely new, something different than what we've done before? So recently I heard this interview, uh, Adam Grant actually, with Trevor Noah uh, from The Daily Show, where he actually talks about this community that's formed among the writer's room at the show. How they take a completely blank page every day and turn it into 22 minutes of usually really good comedy. I'm fascinated about how this worked for them. So Adam Grant talks about this with them and he he described being in the writer's room as part of the project, as the group brainstormed the set for the next night. And there were all kinds of ideas bursting out, people were riffing off of each other, And there was all kinds of creativity and freedom. There was this real liberation in the group to say whatever half-baked idea came into their brains. And then Grant talks about how this happened as Trevor Noah walked into the room. And Adam Grant, who we talked about throughout this series, is an organizational psychologist. he, He wanted to see if something different would happen when the leader walked into the room. Because before there had been this very free... Uh, liberated creative process happening and he wanted to see if when Trevor Noah walked in the room, the boss, things changed. And to his surprise and delight, nothing did. No one was afraid of sounding dumb or, or throwing out a bad idea, even up against the deadline of having the show ready by that evening. And so he talks about what allows this kind of creativity and security to happen what allows this group to be so connected and and so trusting of each other in a community. And Grant uses this concept of psychological safety. For him, that's where it starts. And what psychological safety means is that you don't have to have it all together. You can just be willing to show up and throw out whatever you have in your mind or whatever's going on, and that's okay. because. What is valued is your presence in the community. And personally, I think that's something that Crossings has always done really well. I think we've always put out the message that it's okay to not be okay as long as you're willing to show up and do the work and and be present and not give up and wrestle with this faith. Psychological safety, I think, is how we're going to have to move forward together. as we do life together in this next stage of our life. Because frankly, we don't expect to have everything figured out. I mean, we certainly don't as as leaders, as staff in the community. This is a completely unique historical moment that we're living in. And so what we trust and what we believe is that everybody who is in this community desperately wants to help people find their way back to God. That everybody that's here wants to see the world restored and put back together because that's what we're gathering for. That's the purpose that unites us. And we all want that. It's that goodwill, I think, that common purpose that gives us the freedom to show up and not have all the answers, to show up and not have it all figured out. And I think that we're going to do that well. But the other piece that Grant talks about as he's observing this writer's room that's working so well and so creatively is that it's not just about psychological security. One of the things that Grant's team points out is that Trevor Noah's team also had accountability. So being in community, just in case you're new to this, is not all about the warm and fuzzies that you get from being together. A community that is healthy, that is being creative, actually needs accountability to have hard conversations about what's working and what's not working, if we're going to be doing this well. So there have been times in my life where I have had people set me down and say, if you keep up doing what you're doing right now, you are not going to like the person that you will be in 10 years. And that's a hard conversation to sit down and listen to someone tell you. But it's something that has been completely formative for the way that I rethought the rest of my life from that moment on. To an extent, psychological safety only works when we feel comfortable enough to say the hard things, to have the conversations that are truthful about who we are and who we want to be. About the blind spots that we can't see ourselves that only other people can see for us. And about how we can connect all of our collective screw-ups and failures into something that moves forward, something that's constructive. Community doesn't mean that we're all just some kind of hot mess express and that's okay, you just be who you are. It means that we care enough to say, I'm not sure this is okay right now. I'm not sure that what you did was what you intended to do and it affected me in a negative sense. And I'd like to have a conversation about that. Those are very hard things to do and they can't happen unless there is both the psychological security of knowing that we're all flawed human beings trying to figure it out as we go and the humility to hear and remain accountable to one another when we mess up. So really what we want this whole rethinking experiment in our community to be is not just a teaching delivered by someone once a week that we all download into our brains and receive, but we we want to have a conversation with our community. And I understand that this is different when it's virtual. We're, We're doing this on YouTube. But one of the things that we've shared in the past is that a lot of communities, especially churches, have kind of this pyramid scheme whenever it's uh, the structure of their leadership. And usually there's like a leadership team, a board of some kind, the lead CEO, the pastor, then there's the staff. And then at the bottom are the people in the community. And so everything is sort of a top down approach. Everything starts at the top and then is pressed down throughout the levels of the organization. That's, that's one way of modeling the kind of community that you can be in. But what we've always said at Crossings, what we're trying to do is to try to flip that pyramid upside down. So that our people in the community, the people that make up who we are, are actually at the top. Because it's you, the people in our community, who have the connections, who go to work, who live in different neighborhoods who make these connections possible for us. I mean, we believe that as we, as a staff, come alongside you to provide resources, to pray with you, to walk with you, to seek wisdom, that that you're the ones that actually make all of this happen. And we're just coming along for the ride to provide whatever help we can. We, we want to flatten this hierarchical pyramid. We want to turn it upside down so that we're not just pushing things down through a community, but we're actually serving to support the dreams and the missions and the beliefs and the missions of all of the people that make up the community. And so what that means for us is that we let community emerge. We're not social engineers and we would probably be really bad at it if we tried we think that community happens in life as life happens. So think about the way that people, communities emerge from tragedies. It seems like once a year during hurricane season, we see some devastating storm come through and completely obliterate a community. And it's in those moments that all of the other things that were happening in the communities, the divisions, the strife, the political stuff, They all take a back seat to helping the community rebuild and restore. It's like in those moments, community is revealed based on the common effort to make things livable again. We could go through all different kinds of examples, uh, but something personal for me, the way that I've seen community revealed in my life is my entry into the Crossings community. Uh, Back in 2011, I came on staff at Crossings as a resident, and I was married newly six months to my wife, Christy, when we discovered that she had a serious blood clotting problem. She spent three weeks in the hospital, had two surgeries. We told each other goodbye. We weren't sure that we were going to make it through this. And it was in those moments in the hospital, the long nights, the prayers, the, the tears, the laments that we saw community emerge around us. And it's at that moment that we knew that we could not be a part of any other community than this, because of what that disaster, that crisis revealed about the community that is. It's not all about these ideas. It's not even really about the teachings. It's about the life that we share together when things happen, as we show up together to do the work together. So what does that mean? (laughs) Uh, That means that we need you not just to show up, not to be a part of the community, but we, we need you. We need each other. We need to hear from God through each other. We need each other to discern what may or may not be the Holy Spirit speaking in our lives. We need each other as we deconstruct our faith and reconstruct what we want it to look like for ourselves for our kids, for our friends. We need each other to celebrate a day of sobriety, another day of of mental health, to mourn and lament when things happen that are not shalom. We need your voices if something doesn't seem right to you, because we value those conversations. There may be something that you're seeing that we're not. And through that conversation in community the psychological security and the accountability we become better together we need your help as we figure out tearing down and setting up a sunday morning gathering in person caring for our kids all of the different things that make our life together in community as a faith community happen we need you at greenhouse these gatherings where we discuss our mission and our vision And how we're going to be embodying this way of Jesus in the coming weeks and months and years. This just doesn't work unless we're here together as we are being pulled together as we find our way back to God. We want to create a space that is safe for people to come and wrestle to be who they are, where they are. But we also want to create a space where we're held accountable, not just in a judgmental criticism oriented way, but in a way that speaks truth and life into each other. And we need everybody for that. So with that in mind, we have a couple of questions that we'd like to ask at this point.
1: So here are the questions that we are going to be discussing in groups at our in-person gathering that we invite you to process and think about uh, by yourself or with whoever you might be with. Here are those questions, they're going to be on the screen. What does life together look like in this post-pandemic new normal? What aspects of community should be easy? What aspects of community should be hard? And what does it take to create a space that is both safe and accountable? After you've had time to process some of these questions, we invite you to get out your common meal elements, uh, the Holy Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, communion, whatever you might call it. In Luke chapter 22, it says this, when it was time, Jesus sat down, all the apostles with him and said, You've no idea how much I have looked forward to eating this Passover meal with you before I enter my time of suffering. Taking the cup, he blessed it and said, take this and pass it among you. As for me, I'll not drink wine again until the kingdom of God arrives. Taking the bread, he blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Eat it in my memory. He did the same with the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant written in my blood, blood poured out for you. All are invited to this table. We welcome you to take this bread and this juice in memory of the life and death and resurrection of Christ, which is the reason we gather together today.
0: If you have any questions about this teaching or are looking at different ways to engage in community at Crossings, you can reach out to us at administration at crossingsknoxville.com. If there's anything we can do to take care of you as you're listening from a distance, please let us know. Shalom.